we want to talk about the attractiveness or the attractive meekness of Jesus Christ. And when we think about meekness, I think this was God's secret weapon because God won our hearts through meekness, didn't he? And that story of Father Damien, I don't know what if he was Catholic or what he was Lutheran. I don't know if that really matters to me right now. What matters is that he served these people with the love of Christ. And the meekness that he had to lay down his life and his nationality and his race and his background and come to, at that time in the 1800s, a very poor, poor island in Hawaii. It wasn't that paradise island that we, that we celebrate now, but really served. This really speaks to me about the meekness of Jesus Christ. And let's look at a verse together in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And we're going to read through verse 9. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't consider it some outrageous thing that he was equal to God. And nor did he, I want to, I'm not going to add something here to the scripture, but nor did he try to use that equalness to God as a stick or a handle in manipulation of the human race. But verse 7, what did he do? But he made himself of no reputation. This is the most, uh, I think this is like the heart of Christmas right here. Made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, which is kind of an old English word, which means that he just kind of took himself upon himself a slave. He became a slave. And, be, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Not only did he humble himself from heaven to humanity, he humbled himself from humanity to the point of death. He became obedient to death, obedient to God's plan to die for the world, to reconcile the world back to God, even the death on the cross. And this was not just a death, but it was a crucifixion, which was scholars and historians point to the crucifixion as the most gruesome way to end someone's life. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. This really, this encapsulates, I think, meekness. And meekness is different than humility in the sense that meekness is our attitude towards people, circumstances. Humility is our attitude towards God and his plan. And so let's look at another verse, a Christmas verse. Uh, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And you know, Micah 5, 2, as we know that this verse happens hundreds, and year, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And what's amazing about the Bible is, is that there are prophecies in the Bible that, that pinpoint the time and the place that Jesus was going to be born. No, it wasn't that mysterious Bible code that we read about or that we hear about with, uh, what's his name, and uh, that played in that movie. Um, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks in that movie, The, the Vinci Code. The Vinci code. It wasn't that, it, wasn't, it, it was actually even more clearer than that. It was black and white in the letters of the Bible, if you read it. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, say that fast ten times, <laughs> Ephrathah. <laughs> Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, and one translation says that you are the littlest, that you are too small to be a tribe, yet out of you come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, 
whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And who is that? That's Jesus Christ, isn't it? The Ancient of Days, who was going to be the ruler of Israel, not only the ruler of Israel, but the whole world. And so we, we begin with Bethlehem, and I, maybe Christmas Eve or at some time, I know that I think on the 17th we have a Christmas party at Tony Self's. Invite, everyone's invited. But one of these days, one of these evenings, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Bethlehem and the Star of Bethlehem, which is just a fa- uh, fascinating uh, astrological event. But Bethlehem was an amazing place, and a lot happened in Bethlehem. God doesn't do anything by mistake, and the beauty of the Bible and how it differs from the Quran or from any other religious book is that there are prophecies, but not only prophecies, but the quality of the literature of the Bible and the amazing stories that are told and the completeness of the story. Bethlehem means the house of bread, okay? It means um, the place where bread could be found. And this is really a fitting name for the birthplace of him who said, I am the bread of life. You know, bread in that culture we know was was just as important as, as the most basic uh, staple of their diet. Without bread, there was no life. And so Jesus came on the scene in Bethlehem in the place called the house of bread. He himself in John 6 verse 48 would become the bread of life. But also, uh, Ephratha means a house, it means a fruitful it means fruitful. And so putting this together, it means that Jesus was going to be born in a fruitful house of bread. It was a place of fruitfulness in this very small, small town. Now the story, when we look at the Christmas story, I'm just amazed to see how God does mighty things in small ways. That in God's, and this is what we're going to see in this message this morning, I hope, that God's power is expressed through very small, small things. Not only was Jesus born there, but David was born there. It was a, this Bethlehem Ephrathah was a clan that was too small to be a tribe. And we can see as David had been the most, had been the least noble of his brother, meaning that he was the youngest of all of his brothers, so Bethlehem was the least honorable among the towns in Judah. And isn't it interesting that the most insignificant place would bring forth the most significant person in history? This is amazing, isn't it? God didn't come on the scene with, with all this power and just blowing everybody away like a nuclear bomb and just... Um, impacting everyone and just running over people's will and running over people with his power. He didn't come on the scene with um, just diso- with like a volcano exploding. He came on the scene and not, not very many people even knew Jesus was there. Isn't that amazing? That's the meekness of God. That is the meekness of God. And what is so really, what is so attractive about Jesus Christ? When we look at Jesus um, he was so attractive, but not in the ways that you would think he would be. They say in the book of Isaiah, it says that he was not comely to look at. And scholars bring out the point that when you looked at Jesus, he was not like this. He was not a handsome guy in the sense that 
Like you would, you know, when you're scanning a crowd, you pick out a good-looking person. Your eyes would easily fall on that person. Jesus was not like that kind of a person. Your eyes would not easily fall on him. Actually, you'd look at him and maybe kind of move on to the next person when you're looking at him. Because there was nothing about Jesus that was, and we have these beautiful pictures of him with the long, wavy hair and the soft face and the, you know, the cheekbones and the, had the, you know, but he was probably a very ordinary looking person. And not to take away from anything sacred about the person of Christ, God did not want people to be impacted by his beauty and his comeliness. And so when Jesus came in the body that was prepared for him, uh, he came in a very humble way. But what was very attractive about, about Jesus Christ? Well, one of the greatest beauties of Jesus Christ was his meekness. You know, his meekness. And it was the most attractive thing about him um, he was always attracting humble people in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. He was attracting humble people. And he was making the proud people very angry. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see like the kind of people, you know, it, you, it, you can tell a lot about a person by the people that they attract, that they attract. Not that the people that they manipulate, but the people that they just attract. And Jesus attracted broken, humble people. The sinners in Acts chapter in Luke chapter 15 heard him gladly. You know, I think we would have heard Jesus and we would have been so glad to hear his message. I think if we were a Pharisee and a self-righteous um, religious mafia member back in the day called the Pharisees, then we would not be very happy to hear him and we'd actually be very angry at him because he's coming on the scene and he's messing up our entire religious organization. Remember that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the whole Judaic religious system had added tens of thousands of extra laws to the laws of Moses that were not in scripture. And they were putting these on the people as a burden. And so he was so attractive because he was, he was meek. So let's just define for a couple minutes, what is meekness? What is meekness? Um, meekness means power over one's strength, over one's will, and over one's justice. It means that I have power to rule my spirit, as it says in the book of Proverbs. Meekness means that I have a, I have a will, I have an opinion, and I have an urge. But it means that meekness is my ability or power over that. Not because I have willpower or that I'm able to live in perfect self-discipline, but there's something greater in my life. And that is Jesus Christ. That is the spirit of Christ. That is the plan of God. That is the nature of Christ. And I want to talk about that in a second. Meekness um, means to, it means to um, commit my cause to God. It means to commit my cause to God and, and allow God to fight for me and not needing for me to defend, because meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. Jesus was able, you know what, when we talk about this, you know, when we talk about these things in our messages, these time together with the team, like don't look at yourself like, okay, now I gotta be meek. How do I try to be meek? <laughs> I gotta exercise, now I gotta endeavor to be meek. That's not gonna work because that's just us trying to modify our flesh. You know, no, none of us can do that. None of us can change. Can a tiger or a leper change his spots? The prophet asked. No, it's not possible. We cannot change your old sin nature. We can modify the expression of it. 
we can change our vocabulary, we become people of etiquette. I remember growing up, my mom and dad, my dad especially, was really into etiquette. You know, he had a book on etiquette. I don't know about you guys, have you ever seen the book of etiquette? I don't know, up in New England that was all about etiquette, what to say, what not to say, and how to put your fork and knife, and what that whole thing. And, and I was one of the greatest uh, lawbreakers of them all, surprise, surprise. <laughs> But meekness is the power to absorb. I can't uh, personally, we can't naturally absorb uh, adversity and criticism without lashing back. Nope. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Meekness has nothing, and this is a conception that, that, that a misconception that people have, that meekness is uh, something that is power in my personality. Like, we might look at an introvert or someone who doesn't really talk a lot, maybe a quiet person, always yields to other people's ideas and kind of, you know, um, doesn't speak out. And we say that this person is a meek person. You know, they're, oh, he's so humble, he's so meek. That has nothing to do with meekness. That's just a personality trait. As a matter of fact, someone who may be very meek in their heart and very broken towards, towards people and towards the Word of God could actually be a very strong person. They may express themselves in a very strong way, but they be very broken on the inside. And meekness has nothing to do with our personality. God's not asking us to change our personality. God is just saying, look at the meekness of Christ. Because I think if we look at Christ, we're going to be changed. You know, look and be changed. That's what it says in Isaiah 45, doesn't it? Look upon me and be saved. I think as we look upon Jesus like Paul looked upon Jesus on the road to Damascus when he was on his high horse. And by the way, that phrase in English, when someone's on their high horse, that's where it's from. Paul of Tarsus on his horse on the way to Damascus. He sees Jesus and he doesn't even recognize him at first. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? I think we need to look away from ourselves, look away from all of our issues, look away from everything that we think is wrong with ourselves and not get introspective, but look at Jesus Christ. Now some of us, like I know myself, I like to really think a lot. I'm a real thinker and that can sometimes get me into trouble. I just have to, on purpose, multiple times during the day, just look away and look at Jesus Christ and look at his meekness. And when we look at his meekness, um, we, uh, we have this ability to, um, to overcome those things that come at us. So what is meekness? Meekness receives the word of God when it rebukes and corrects it. Meekness is treatable. It's it's teachable. It's teachable. It's a teachable thing. The third thing that meekness is, is that the wisdom of God is meek in James 1, 17. So meekness means that I'm meek towards, I have meekness towards people, I have meekness towards circumstances, and I have meekness towards the Word of God. It means that the Word of God in my life is the most, is, is the most ultimate important thing in my life. I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready, um, two things that we want to exalt in our church all the time. That's Jesus Christ, all the time, Jesus Christ, to be Christocentric, not to be behavioral-centric or program-centric or this-centric or that-centric, but really be Christ-centric. And secondly, to um, Word of God-based, like having a biblical basis for what we believe. Because if it's not in the Bible, then, then I'm not interested in it. If it's not biblical, then I'm not interested. Because what can change a person's life? Only the Bible, right? The Bible changes people's lives. Jesus Christ changes people's lives. 
and not us. And so why is wisdom meek? Well, I was thinking, you know, the older that we get as the years go by, not necessarily even older, but the more experience, well, I might be a young person and have a lot of experience in a certain area of my life. The older or the more experience that we get in circumstances, the harder it is for God to break through and to teach us something new because we're kind of focused on what we think we know about things. That's the hardest thing that, is, that God has to deal with us is that what we think we know about God and what we think about, we know about people. I'm just thinking this morning, I want to use the word I know less. You know, I just want to use that less. I know, I know, I know. Well, maybe I don't know. <laughs> maybe I don't know what's going on in somebody's life. Maybe I don't know what God's doing in that situation. You know? We sat down with a couple, and every week we try to take out people and just spend time with them because we want to meet people here and, and make friends and, and just minister to people. And we sat with his family, and I was just, Bogosh and I were just astounded what this family's been through. And like, you know what he said to me, this guy? Some of you guys know him. He, he doesn't come here. He's been here to visit. He said, I, I was just kind of comforting him, like, you know, with almost a Christian optimism. Sometimes we do that, right? Hey, it's all going to be great. It's all going to get better. <laughs> you know? Maybe it doesn't get better. Maybe it doesn't get great. But the only thing that doesn't change is God doesn't change. And this is what he said to me. He goes, you know, after I shared with him everything, he said, you know, he said, whether it gets better or not, one thing I know, and it's getting chilly in here, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, he said, one thing I know is, is that if the prayers get answered or don't get answered, and if the ch- situation changes or doesn't change, then I know that God is gracious, that God doesn't change. Isn't that beautiful? He said, I'm persuaded that God is a good God. I thought, man, you're a more, more mature person than I am. I don't know if I could say that in that situation. You're, you're amazing. And, he's, and I, said, I said, you are a, you are a grace believer. You are a good, you are a believer in the goodness of God. And so the wisdom of God is meek. God's wisdom and circumstances is not to plow into a situation which we in our human nature would so easily do and say, walk into a, some, you know, walk in. Some of us alphas are like this. We walk in, it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do, you know? And like, bang, 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 we're going to do this and this and this. And while we're doing it, we're just steamrolling over people. We got carcasses behind us, you know, people dying. We got roadkill on the side. And then there's like no one to minister to. We're like, where is everybody? Well, <laughs> you know? It's like, what happened? You know? So I just, I, I'll never forget this story. It's kind of comical, but Sean and I were doing some, we were doing door knocking, one of these neighborhoods here. We were down here visiting. We had these door hangers. We were going to have our meeting and everything. I was really excited about it. You remember this? Mm-hmm. And we were like knocking on doors. And we got to this one, uh, one door. And as there was this, you know, it was kind of a, I don't know what kind of neighborhood it was, but it was kind of a simple place a little bit. And there was this man out there, older man with his, I think it was his son. And they were just kind of quietly working in the yard, right? They were doing something there. And you know, we, I walked up to him and I started talking to him. I was like, hey, we're new in the area. We're going to do this. We're going to have a meeting tonight and it's going to be great. We're going to do this thing. And we're going on. He's looking at me like a deer in headlights, you know? He's just looking at, looking at me like, you know, with his hat, you know, he's like, he's like a farmer maybe. He just looked at me and I just thought, man, am I speaking Greek or something to this guy? And so Sean goes, Sean goes, oh, is that your rock garden? And he starts talking about the rocks. And the guy just kind of wakes up and, this guy gets getting into like you know the conversation, and 
And I just thought, you know, meekness means that we're not coming in with our program. We're coming in with God's heart. We're coming in with God's heart towards people. And we're talking to people where they're at. And, you know, and then the wife came out of the house and we just got into this great conversation. And, and uh, I, of course, left with the lesson learned. And I just thought, that's interesting. I have a lot to learn here. Meekness means wisdom. It means that God's not plowing into the circumstance, blowing everybody away. God's coming in, in and he's coming in, he's condescending, and he is, he is and this is, this is the great wisdom of God. And so Christmas is about the greatest theological fact in our Christianity. Christmas is the most important event. Uh, one of the most, probably the most, yeah, the most important event um, and right there also Easter, the resurrection of Christ, about our theology. And what is it? It's the incarnation of God being born in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans 8, verse 3. And this is like what happened with this father. He came into Hawaii. He came into this village. Uh, he was from a very wealthy, he was from Europe, wealthy Europe, coming to this very poor place. And he came kind of in the likeness uh, of these Hawaiians and that he was a human. And then he, he got their disease, even though he had never been a leper. Jesus took upon our sin upon him, and he was crucified, and he died our death. And this is the uttermost display of just meekness and humility that Jesus said, didn't he say on the cross, could I not call 10,000 angels? I mean, there were angels, I think, just waiting on their edge of their seats, ready to roll in to rescue Jesus Christ. And by the way, not all the angels, and certainly not the devil, understood the plan of God with the cross. None of the disciples understood what was going on, uh, even though it was explained to them. Because I think pride cannot interpret the communication of humility. The devil had no idea what, what, what God was doing. The, the devil had no idea that God was going to go this far. It was just because pride always is blind to... There, it blinds a person from seeing the good and the grace of things. That's what God's doing. He does in uh, Jeremiah... Um, uh, it says that... I believe it's chapter 13. It says that the good... That the, that the man who trusts in the arm of the flesh does not see the good when it comes. If I'm living in the arm of my flesh, muscling my way through life, I'm not going to see the grace of God. I'm just going to, I'm going to be blind to that. But when I'm broken, and when God has broken us, and when we are broken, and, and God has taken us through life, and, um, and I'm broken, then I'm going to see the grace of God everywhere. I'm going to see his goodness everywhere. And I say, look at that bird. It's so beautiful. That's the goodness of God, you know. And so that is, the, that is one of the most amazing points in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. The second great thing is that, um, that this is what made Jesus Christ guilty. Jesus wasn't guilty because he had inherited a sin nature. Remember, Jesus didn't have that sinful DNA that we're born with. You know, we're born with sin in our DNA, and uh, geneticists have, have pointed that to that. They have pointed to that um, corruption in our DNA that what that that was that was impacted when the moment Adam and Eve sinned. But Jesus was guilty in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the Pharisees and the Roman government. 
He was guilty because he associated with us. Isn't that amazing? Guilty by association. You ever meet people that you don't want to associate with because you don't want to wind up in jail? Like, are you, you know, like, like I've met those kind of people like, you know what? You, you're there, I'm over here. You know? I'm not gonna hang, I'm not gonna talk too much with you about, you know, because we don't want to be associated with people. But Jesus touched lepers. I don't suggest we do that, but Jesus had what he had inside of him was deity and he had the spirit of God but more than all of that he didn't depend on that to heal people he healed people because of love and the gospel of grace and so Jesus was guilty because he associated with us and so I want to read this verse in Psalm 113 and I want to um, wind things down here the Lord is above in Psalm 113 verses 4 through 6 the Lord is high above all nations is that great? That's a, it's a great verse for the, all the globalists out there. You know, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens, uh, which means the sky, the ozone, and the uh, cosmic universe. God is higher above in all of that. Verse 5 Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself? And listen to this verse. This is shocking. I love this verse who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. Shocking verse, isn't it? He has to humble himself to look down. Imagine that. Think about that for a minute. God has to humble himself. And it sounds a little arrogant on his part, but he's not arrogant. He is just high and he is the almighty ancient of days. But God has to, God condescends to look at to behold the things that are in heavens. So if God wants to, he is in his throne room, and if he wants to look at the heavens, the amazing universe, the order of the universe, our, the clouds in our ozone, and the amazing things that are happening uh, in, our, in our, he has to humble himself. Uh, we have to look up to see what's in heaven. God has to look down to see the things that are in heaven. Even the angels, they are lower than God. Uh, God stoops down to look at the angels. Isn't that amazing? You know, that is just an amazing... Uh, and I think it's healthy for us sometimes to read books like the book of Revelation and the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah where we see the, all the hosts of heaven worshiping the great glory of God. And it just is something in your Christianity that makes God so much greater than our circumstances. And God has to look down. He stoops down and he humbles himself to look at the things in heaven not only did he have to stoop down to even look at us, but it is his amazing grace that he is even mindful of man. Isn't that amazing? Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, he said that, that uh, who, am I, who, are, who, who is man that thou art mindful of him? What does that tell us about the meekness and about the nature of God? Well, that God humbled himself he doesn't just look at us from a, from a perspective of pride or pity. You know when someone looks at you from the perspective of pity versus the perspective of, of empathy? You know, when, you, when Jesus, God didn't look at us from the perspective of pity, from the sense of like, oh, those poor people, you know, those, those wretched people, you know, like, what are they, look what they've done with the world that I've given them. Look what they've done to their lives, their families. Look what they've done and, you know, it serves them right and God looks down, but that's not the way he looks at us. He looks at us 
in a different way. He looks at us from, from the perspective of compassion. And this is his meekness. This is his, his humility, that he looks at us from the perspective of great compassion. And this is where that classic verse, John 3, verse 16, says, God so loved the world that he sent his only born or begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. God gets involved with us. This is the amazing thing about the meekness of God. You know, when we look at people like Sean was sharing about the, 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 the event that we went down uh, a week over, about a week and a half ago, when we get involved with things like that, it's like there's nothing in us naturally that wants to do that. There's no one that really naturally has that desire to do that unless they have something to gain from it, you know, and unless they have some agenda or PR, PR stunt. But God gets involved with us because he loves us and because of his compassion. And when he did that, uh, he decided to send his son. And when he sent his son, his son came in with great humility and great lowliness. And I just think it's amazing, uh, just amazing. You know, if Hollywood put on the event of the, of the appearance of Christ on the earth, it would have been incredible, wouldn't it? It would have been months and months and months and years and years and years of, 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 of um, advertisement. Um, trailers on the internet. There would have been incredible amount of, um, you know, there would have been uh, on the billboards. Jesus is coming. He's coming to Bethlehem. He's going to be there at this day and at this hour, 7 p.m. Don't miss it. You know, uh, get your tickets now. Uh, travel agencies would have uh, made billions of dollars off of the event. Uh, there, there would have been so much glamour and attention given to it. But God was so secure, and this is a, one of the main points that I want to make here, that God is so, and Jesus is so secure in who he is that he didn't have to come in with his own agenda. He came in understanding who he was and what he wanted to do and that he was starting at ground zero. Where was everybody? I mean, you know, it's not like the Bible didn't talk about Jesus coming. There were... Uh, there were prophecies. There were hundreds of years of just, um, even in the book of Daniel, if you read the book of Daniel and do the math, you could even know when Jesus was going to be born. And even Herod, in Herod's court, it said, where is he that I might worship? Nobody really even knew he was coming. They were so occupied with the muscular religious system of the day. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and God has to go out to the fields and get some shepherds. Say, hey guys, come over here. You know, uh, there are some magi who uh, saw the star of Bethlehem, understood that something was happening. But these guys weren't even Jews. They were Persians, or they were, you know, they were these, um, uh, they were these uh, astronomers. So where was everybody? But that didn't make God insecure. God was, was secure because he understood who he was and what he wanted to do. And this is what I want us to take home. We are never more like Jesus than when we exercise ourselves in meekness towards people and humble ourselves and surrender to the plan of God. It's like we have that opportunity every day this week, uh, every hour this week, to not look at ourselves, not to look at our own meekness and humility, um, but to look at Jesus Christ and his meekness. 
when he was born in a barn. I mean, we don't have to even describe that, what that scene looked like. Extremely unsanitary. I mean, we see the pictures of like the, 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 the yellow light glow above the manger. That was a trough. We know that was a trough where the pigs and the animals ate from, you know? Interesting to note that this road, Bethlehem is a city that overlooks a major highway that goes from Egypt to Hebron. And it's about 250 feet high in the elevation. And in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph could probably see this highway that went from Egypt to Hebron, which was the trek that Abraham would, t- would take. And Hebron was not far away from Bethlehem. Hebron was the place where uh, Abraham lived. And it's probably where we get the name Hebrews from, the Hebrew people, because that's where God spoke to, 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 to Abraham. And here on that road also was where um, Rachel was traveling towards Bethlehem and gives birth to her son, and she dies giving birth. And think of Mary in this situation. Oh, this is where Rachel died giving birth to her promised son. And, made, and think about how that was going through her mind. All of, these, all of this adversity and all of this trouble, because God was trying to bring in something through great adversity and great pain, because... There is so much power in that. And I'm going to finish with this, is that what is the most powerful thing in the universe? It's meekness. When I can do something and I don't do it because of the love of God, because of a higher respect, the higher road, uh, the deeper I see something, I see deeper into a situation than what I see on the outside. That's powerful, isn't it? That's like true power. When God brought his son into the world, he brought him into just a place of great weakness, but that was so, so powerful, wasn't it? And that's what, that's what makes Christianity the greatest religion in the, in the, on the planet. It's greater than Islam because of the meekness and the grace of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. Amen? So let's just pray. Father, we thank you, God.